Vintage Sand. Hello, hello, hello. It's Team Vintage Sand, otherwise known as Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, and I'm going to be Mr. Purple. I know Steve Buscemi did not get to be Mr. Purple, so I'm going to be purple, okay? So here we, could we be are. Also, we might also be called Three Curmudgeons at a Movie. It's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, here we are, and it is August, and the good news is, is that we are not talking about superhero movies, franchise, ten poles, or anything like that. We are talking about a new Quentin Tarantino film, which for anyone who's even remotely interested in film, love him or hate him or both, uh, is is newsworthy. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's great that all anyone's been talking about film-wise for the last three weeks is, is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, there's nothing yes. else out. Well, that's good. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And um, so welcome to episode 14 of Vintage Sandy Film History Podcast, uh, which we are going to refer to as uh, The Return of Quentin Tarantino or the episode 14 Fists of McCluskey. And if you haven't seen the movie, too bad on you because you won't get it otherwise. Um, our podcast today is brought to you by the good people at Red Apple Cigarettes. I smoke them. Um, did, you, did you guys stay for the, uh, the yes. thing at the end? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Always has to get the Red Apple Cigarettes in. I smoke them. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about, um, as we did in episode 7 with the Orson Welles film, we're going to try to talk about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in and of itself, and then also how it uh, fits in, as it were, with, um, with Quentin Tarantino's uh, career, uh, which is, you know, which never takes a dull turn, you and must say that. big spoiler alert. Oh, well, yeah. Huge. Uh, for everyone. Yeah, if I mean, you yeah. haven't seen the movie... And intend to see the movie, turn us off now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we never say that to anybody, so, no. you know, we're always trying to turn people on to rather quote, than to off. Quote, to quote uh, Peter Finch and Network, turn us off, turn us <laughs> off, turn us <laughs> off. <laughs> turn them all off. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, um, overall, thoughts on the film? I think, I think we're all on the same yeah, page pretty much. I, I, I very much enjoyed the movie. Up until the fantastic remaking of history part, and it started getting violent. I thought that both Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio were excellent. Fantastic! I mean, that that really just their performances alone, I think, is is worth going to see. Absolutely. And there's a lot of humor in it. Uh, The relationship was really, really well done. Very believable, and and the Brad Pitt character actually becomes very endearing as the movie goes on. He He's like a Howard Hawks character. He is yeah. pure yeah. competence. Whether he's fighting Bruce Lee, or fixing a TV antenna, or killing Manson people. He, <laughs> he is the guy who gets the job done. Yes. Now, it doesn't always get the credit for it, and in fact, right. one of the things that people have spoken about at the end is that Rick, DiCaprio's character, gets to fulfill his dream because he's going yes. to have drinks with uh, J.C. Bring and Sharon right. Tate, and that's going to re- revitalize his, his career. career. And it probably will. Polanski. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, it's that kind of Hawksian competence. And Tarantino is a very, very big Howard Hawks fan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And this, uh, Michael Mann does that, too. Did you... Um, what was the film with, um, with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise about the assassin? Oh, I'm... I'm can't remember the um, collateral. Uh, collateral, thank yeah. you, Michael. Yes, and yeah, he. Uh, there you go. All right, <laughs> and he. You know, he takes so much time showing us how how diligent Jamie Foxx is in being like the best cab driver he could, right. and how Tom Cruise's character is the best assassin he can be. You right. know, people being people doing a job well. That's Hawks. That's man. Yeah. And the that's, whole idea of professionalism. Yeah, that's, and and also how professionalism can enrich. A friendship, but I would say outside of the relationship between uh, Robert Forster and uh, Pam Greer and Jackie Brown, it is probably the most human, most believable relationship in all of Tarantino. Maybe okay. would you go that far? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's Samuel L. Jackson and Travolta in Pulp well, Fiction, but but, but they're uh, that is, but they're also very different. Yeah, and they're right. very different outlooks on life. They're they're. Yeah. Yeah, and hence the the you know the debate about being a bum in the diner right. at the end yeah. before you'll it gets rough. You'll just be a bum. Yeah, they call it. They have a name for that, Jules. <laughs> it's called a bum. It's called a bum. So and, and it's nice, you know. Jackie Brown is, you know, I, as much as I love Pulp Fiction, I think in some ways Jackie Brown's my favorite. Which is the only movie of his that's an adaptation. 
Right, from the Elmore Leonard book. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and Elmore Leonard said that he was his favorite adaptation of any of his novels. Because uh, it's oh. so style, and Pam Greer is just so ridiculously good in that part. And I think it really... I think everyone, I think everyone's good in it. I think it's the it, only one with a really good female character, possibly. Well, a I, large. Well, role. but but the Kill Bill films have you know a, a female character who very much takes control of things. I have to yeah. be honest, I didn't see the second Kill Bill. I only saw the first one because I was so totally bored by that movie. Numbed you? Well, I just yeah. thought it was a it was a video game. I didn't. Think yeah, no, there I were can... any characters up there, and I I just if they had kept it to one movie, which was Tarantino's intent, I would have sat through the whole thing, obviously. But I just thought I don't want to. Hey, to see part two of this. I think part two is better. Yeah, that's I what do people too. are well, saying. Part two, you know, not part that I'm crazy about either one, but I think part two. Is part better. one feels like a martial arts movie. Part two feels like a western. And, and I'm not a fan of Uma Thurman as an actress, although I think she's very good in Pulp Fiction. But she she gets me at the end when she breaks in to Bill's hacienda and sees that BB is alive yes and and that i totally believed her i i had not bought her as an actress until that moment in the film by the way did you know that BB's in the movie she plays the hippie who um pro henley jardine she she plays the hippie who sells uh, Brad Pitt the acid lace cigarette look for it so you know you have that's one thing that you know he he had some nice cameos from you know kurt russell and zoe bell yeah. and where uh, was brenda vaccaro in that movie she's listed in the credits i, 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 didn't I, see her. I missed her yeah but some of his old favorites but not sam jackson which nope. is really odd i know but yeah then again those two characters may not yeah. Should we go there? I mean, right. the DiCaprio character, would he be friends with a black man? Probably uh, not. not. Not in the 1969. Old, no, no, not in old school Hollywood. That and, and, you know, so we've hit on, I think, two of the problems that people, and I think a gathering that we had with the film, is that it's like a lot of Tarantino's work, kind of very reactionary in its own way, even though he's supposed to be a revolutionary filmmaker. The, 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 the politics capital P and small p of the movie are very kind of reactionary, wishing things would go back to the good old days. And although women kick ass in his films, take the end of, I don't know if you guys have seen Death Proof, but, you know, there's, um, it's worth it, just for the car chase at the end, and, it, but, and that's all women doing that, but that doesn't mean they're empowered, per se. And I, although my favorites, alright, so, favorite scene in the movie, go. Favorite scene in the movie? Oh, boy. All right, well, I got mine while well, you guys think. Easily. I, I, I'm a sucker for, uh, for scenes in movie theaters. And the scene where Margot Robbie watches herself in The Wrecking Crew and everyone around her is genuinely laughing at her and comic. And she's enjoying their reaction. And, and, she, and it's pure, but it's pure joy. There's nothing distanced or, I mean, and that really is, of course, that is the clip from Wrecking Crew, and that is the real Sharon Tate up on the screen. And Which threw me out of the movie. Like, yeah. Why? And I know why he did it, it deliberately. Uh, I, you know, I think that that was just such a lovely... Know, really, she's really... given so little to do in the film. Well, yeah. because she's not a major character. She's basically yeah. a MacGuffin. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put yeah, it. It's nice. no. Yeah, she's a She's a device. Yeah. She's a, she's a device to propel the movie. Sort of. Yeah. Although the real story is about whether or not the Leonardo DiCaprio character is going to be able to re-establish his career. And, um, you know, speaking of, of the women, my other favorite scene is not a woman, but the little girl. And, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, those, yes. The most interesting those, female character in the film. Yeah, those <laughs> scenes were one. That is the Judy best Butters. acting I've ever seen. She was, <laughs> yeah. she was very good. I don't really buy her as an eight-year-old. but <laughs> And Sam, when did you get the throwing out of the floor thing? That was so good. <laughs> Sam Wanamaker. Um who, but, and, and that, there, who, there, are little, there are little moments with the Brad Pitt character that, I just, that were sort of idiosyncratic like I've never seen like the part when he goes to fix the antenna. Mm -hmm. oh, I and love he doesn't that. he doesn't get a ladder, he jump you see him yeah, yeah. jump from boom, place boom, to place boom. to place. <laughs> but and, and, and then he puts the, the the beer in the in the in the the, 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 the tool holster. <laughs> My favorite scene was when Brad Pitt is coming home after a long drive, seemingly forever. But those drives were beautiful. They were beautiful. Oh my god. But yeah. I, 
I felt could have been cut, frankly. But and it, to his little trailer, to by his the little trailer right? behind the drive-in that was showing Lady in Cement with Raquel <laughs> Welch's name misspelled. I'm sure that was deliberate too. Um, but uh, feeding his dog. And making the uh, craft. Oh, I thought the dog cheese. was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought the dog was 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 great. I to- but then again, at the end, that that excess at the end with you know we have to have a few seconds of the dog chomping on Tex Watson's you know crotch area. That really, I it mean, went co- on, it went on. Uh, it went on. It went on. Really, let it go. Yeah. Let it go. People but, uh, enjoyed but, it. But going back to what you were talking about before, when you see it, when he's in the trailer and he's feeding the dog and everything, you you realize how solitary his life is. Yeah. Yet. You, as the movie progresses, you kind of get the feeling he's very comfortable with that. Well, and that's, I mean, that was a great, I'm thinking, no, Brad Pitt has a share of movie star moments, but when yeah. he takes off the shirt, when he's fixing the antenna, yeah. and, you know, people in the audience went, ooh, I mean, that oh, was, uh, yes. that was yes. an old I, same, school, same thing when yeah. I went old school movie star yeah. moment. Plus, the best TV antenna fixing scene since A Serious Man. So, I mean, if we're talking about TV antenna fixing scenes, it's right up there. That'll be episode 16. (laughs) Exactly. Great TV antenna fixing scenes. Um, That in the movie with the the fight that he had, the the scene of the fight where we were with... Bruce Lee? Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I mean, that was funny. Tarantino's taken a lot of crap that for that. That was very funny. I, I don't, I, I don't, you know, Bruce Lee's daughter has, you know, said publicly that he would never disparage Muhammad Ali like he does in the film, and, uh... Maybe he didn't. Know, I, I don't know. I don't think that was necessarily a bad portrayal yeah. of... I mean, Bruce Lee was a little bit arrogant, but, um... That the fight scene was, was wonderful. It was very funny. It was funny. And then Zoe Bell breaks it up. It was so nice to see Zoe Bell. But you guys have to see Death Proof because Zoe Bell is so good in Death Proof. Zoe Bell um, is the uh, wife, Kurt Russell's yeah, wife. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, new with the New Zealand. I have, to, I have to say, both she and the scene, what do you guys think of the scene, the flashback? To the, to the boat and the wife? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that was, that was funny, but also oh. the way it's kind of just like... Well, did he murder her? Or was yep. it an accident? Finger you know, on the I, I, I heard the song She Had It Coming. <laughs> because, yeah. And as I said, there is a streak of misogyny in Tarantino. All the way through. You know? Yep. No, and, I, and definitely in this movie. But what do you say then, Michael, to the people who argue that, um, that but, you know, women are often victorious, physically and otherwise, yeah. in Tarantino? Well, they are. But I mean... But they're still objectified? Is that kind what you're of, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, 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 just for fun, I looked... Yeah, I think the, the Uma Thurman character in Pulp Fiction... Probably was, not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's one of the exceptions. And it definitely, well, of course, Jackie Brown, but that's... We have to make that an exception, because it is an adaptation. That's a very atypical film. And then there's the Bridget yeah. Fonda character. Yeah, I shot. Jackie Brown? Yeah, she, she wouldn't shut up. So why she's... But... Given what she's playing, which is basically this lazy pothead, she's really good in this. She's, she's really, she is. She's, and she's very funny. Oh, you forgot where the car is. <laughs> but I was looking at a list of Tarantino's favorite films. And yeah, I know. They're mostly male-driven. His Girl Friday being an exception, although that role was originally written as a man. Sure, Hildy. Hildy. Yep. Yeah. But his favorite Woody Allen movie is a movie called Anything Else. I don't know if either one of you have seen no, it. No, I never saw it. Uh, yeah, I never it's, saw it. it's on HBO occasionally. It's a... Um, who Jason Biggs and Christina Ricci and Woody Allen and I think Danny DeVito and Stockard Channing is in it. It is set up structurally very similar to Annie Hall, except it is so misogynist. It is basically his most misogynist movie. And that's saying something Clearly. for Woody Allen. But I mean, really, and I, it's my least favorite Woody Allen movie. And for him to say it's his favorite, it was like, eh, I, I don't know. I mean, most of his films are male-oriented, you know, Pretty Maids in a Row. Have you ever seen that? No. Uh, no. Oh, that's Roger Vadim's movie about uh, oh, high school yeah. cheerleaders. Mr. Objectifying Women. Yeah, getting murdered. And the only thing that keeps it from being really horrible is the fact that Rock Hudson is playing 
Oh, all right. That takes the edge off a little. Bit. <laughs> I know that the coach, Rio, Rio Bravo, and the Great Escape are two of his all-time right. favorites. And I like, I like. That's uh, so. I, I wrote down uh, that movie, and I actually, I, I loved the Great Escape when I was eight. Yeah, I, I mean, and and but I, putting that, you know, comparing that with Virginia with McQueen. Kwai, yeah. Uh, well, no, no. I could tell you what one of my least favorite scenes was, having seen it twice. I did see it twice. Me too. Uh, was the um, party the um, at the Playboy Mansion? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was it. Was weird. Yeah, I thought it, it was, was weird. weird, and just there was no reason for it except to see Damian Lewis do a good Steve McQueen uh, imitation. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like seeing you know Michelle Phillips and Cass Elliot, and you know that that felt kind of uh, yeah, kind of real, so but otherwise no. Well, considering it was so short, that I was like, you really put a lot of time and effort into setting mm-hmm. this entire thing up just for just a couple of minutes of screen time. I mean, well, and that, and like, that, I mean, was he, I guess he wanted to emphasize the fact that the relationship between Polanski and Sebring and her, I, I, what was the point? I, uh, I don't was know. It, was it, was it to give atmosphere to the period? I, I Well, know. and John, that's brilliant because it just leads me right into what I was going to ask ask it next which is you know he always loads his films with you know pop culture detroit oh, well. he is the pop culture godard oh this is God. the first film though where i felt it was like a little too much as his movies are are progressing it seems that the biggest most important theme to tarantino is pop culture yeah absolutely not relationships between people not not some sort of cause, not politics. Not no, as someone learning. once said about him, you can tell this was a kid who was basically raised by television and, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> spent a lot of yeah, hours. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, there was just so, it was just overdone. All the radio commercials and, you know, KHJ, Endless, you know, and the Batman yep. and Robin thing. And, you know, in Pulp Fiction, one box of Fruit Brute. Yeah. All right, which for someone my age, we were talking about this, the, you know, Fruit Brut was the forgotten of the Count Chocula Frankenberry cereals. And the fact yeah. that Eric Stoltz is eating Fruit Brut, you know, and well, there's that, that, that moment well, is so funny. Though. Yeah, right. And then I'm going to tell this fucking asshole to go. <laughs> and then, you know, when he's when he's it's going just, to get the needle in the yeah. book, you know, it's there's this reaction when the phone is ringing. That was just it's so funny. Uh, and and that but that that was enough pop culture for yeah. that moment that yeah. was great but this is non-stuff so we get the trailer this is, it, yeah, it's like the movie it, is really about pop culture of the 60s of a uh-huh. specific specific period of the 60s which brings me to a question what do you guys think of the use of music well, I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I'm sure the people who own the, the uh, rights for Paul Revere and the Raiders, whoever uh, that may be, are going to be very happy because, yeah. Well, be- well is, I, I was wondering, is it just, are the, the songs that he chose... Mrs. Robinson's. Uh, are these just happen to be songs that Tarantino likes? Are they songs that he thought that these characters would listen to? Does he think these are the songs that were really popular from that era, which really is not really true? No. But if you think about 68, 69 and what was going on in rock music, this was an extremely dynamic period in rock music when the Beatles and, yeah. and the Rolling Stones and a lot of other groups were making their greatest albums. And you wouldn't know it from this film. No, and you, and you, but you know he has that reverse snobbery. I mean, that's yeah. why he has to yeah. go on and on about Sergio Corbucci. <laughs> you know, who's Sergio Corbucci? He's yeah. the second best director of, of Spaghetti Westerns. Well, what about the first one? I mean, I think he was a little influenced by Leone along the way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was not going to say how much he loves Sergio Leone because that's a very conventional so he's not yeah. going to say he loves Abbey Road or Let It Bleed or any of those yeah. or Credence yeah. or any of those no. other. Yeah. He'd be like, "Oh no, Cream. Paul Revere and the Raiders. Cream. That's the that's the great stuff." But that being said, you know, although I could picture that character liking that song. Yes, the, the Red yeah. Baron song. The, oh, right when he's oh, in the pool absolutely. at the end. Yeah, Ab- yeah, absolutely. That was that was funny hearing that song at that point. <laughs> That was very, very funny. No, I mean, he and, and Wes Anderson and, and Paul Thomas Anderson in the old in his old incarnation, in the Boogie Nights Magnolia incarnation, were the masters at choosing soundtrack songs. Another yeah. one of uh, Tarantino's favorite movies is Boogie Nights. As well it should, I, th- I think that's, I mean, you know, it's almost like, and I've said this before on this podcast before, I, th- I love those films so much. I like Magnolia a little bit more, even though it was a little... Harder to wade through. Boogie Nights disappointed me. 
Well, I, like, I thought I thought Boogie Nights was really excellent up and, and then eventually I just became less interested and in the I, 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 you can't, I couldn't care less by the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I, I don't know why I would say I, I couldn't care less, but I, it was like, uh, and I, I like uh, a little bored. Paul uh, Anderson. Yeah, Paul I, yeah. it's, his movie uh, Phantom uh, Thread is like no, I know it's probably my favorite movie of the millennial. <laughs> but he's but he's moved. Away. But in terms of you know, I think of uh, Tenenbaums and how well Wes Anderson yeah. chose the uh, I like the, the songs on the soundtrack yeah. for that. I mean, just oh destroyed. yeah, it's a brilliant soundtrack. Yeah, so I think I think it's a great offbeat soundtrack. I like you know there are ones I like better, but. It's almost as though he's pushing his obscurantism in. Yeah. Like you're a like you're a sucker if you expected to hear something from Abbey Road or Let It Bleed. Mm. You know you're you're part of the. You know I'm I'm a Paul Revere and the Raiders is the real. I think it's, I think it's 68 or 69. That Hey Jude was the most popular song in yep. the Billboard Top Ten. Yeah, and you know he's <laughs> listen. He's 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 done a lot for old music as he does for old actors uh, oh, although yeah. not so much here but uh, <laughs> I mean and I, I liked seeing you know for example I remember as a little kid watching Mannix so it was really fun to see you know the opening sequence in Mike Connors I is did Mannix. really really enjoy the bit about The Great Escape yes when he was and Timothy Oliphant was asking is it true that you know you, you know Sturges wanted you for the Great Escape and everything, and they show that they, that's <laughs> that scene of him doing the McQueen scene. <laughs> it's beautiful, um, I, and I love the thing. I loved being a New York Jets fan. There, I admitted it to to our adoring public, all four of you. Is um, is um, the trailer that uh, Sharon Tate watches oh, for wait, CC wait. and Company with Joe and Margaret? Yes, classic yes, biker. I, I'm ashamed to say I have actually seen that movie. I did too. <laughs> it starred my hero. It's so really I was, bad. yeah, it's horrible. He's a terrible actor. He's a terrible actor. All right. He really I think is. he knew it too, and that's why he yeah, didn't do it anymore. Why. He did about two or three films, and that was uh, <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Um, Jim Brown was better. Yeah. What did you? What do you? What would you say to the people who? Um, you know, building on what we were just talking about, say it's more atmosphere-driven than plot-driven. It does, mm. it meanders a lot. Oh, but, yeah. But the meanders are kind of interesting. For the most yeah. part, yeah. And having seen it... And, and beautifully done. I mean, a lot. most of the movie is really beautifully done. I thought... He's a very talented filmmaker. It's oh, just, yeah, you can't deny I that. I sort of want to, if I was the medium, I would say, like, I kind of want to, like, you know, kind of slap him and say, grow up. I wanted it to yeah. be better. I have to say, the second time I saw it, I did like it more. Me, me too. Yeah, actually, I, I totally agree with that. Because there were parts in the first when I uh, saw it the first time where I thought, you know, just keep where you're moving you like with like the yeah. driving and everything. Well, the driving. I, I really enjoyed those because scenes. I just thought it was so beautifully done. But I know that. Uh, so, what, you, what did you think about the part when they go to the spawn? I was just thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, it was lovely. You know, that was supposed to be Burt Reynolds playing right. Spawn, and yeah. then it ended up being you know I the thought it was, Stern. I thought it was super creepy. Mm-hmm. But at the same, but time, did it really add to the? I know, but did we? I mean, in in, in some ways, it kind of stopped the movie. Okay, if you hadn't had that scene, though, people wouldn't be enjoying the True. end the way they did. True. The, yeah, you're probably that's probably right. yeah. Once he steps inside that little house, though, I thought it was very reminiscent of Psycho. Oh, sure. And when the music. When Vera Miles is going around the And house. the music was deliberately sounding yeah. like that score. You know, and you got to see more of Brad Pitt's competent coolness, and that was yeah. and that was nice. And you got to see, you know, the casting of the uh, of the you know some really good actors and actresses in those little bit parts as the Manson family. Oh um, yeah, Margaret Margar Quayle. Margaret Quayle. She, she was she great. was great. Did you guys did you guys watch the leftovers? Uh, I started. I couldn't get oh, into it. Oh my god! It's one of my favorite series of all time, and she plays the daughter in it. And she was lovely. You know, she's the daughter of Andy McDowell. Yep. And, and I saw her in, um, she played Anne Ranking in uh, the Fosse Vernon. Oh, really? Thing, and she was very, very yeah, good. Yeah, she's great. She really is Maya good. Hawk was in there. Lena, Lena Dunham was in there. I yeah. mean, uh, it's really, really interesting casting. I don't know. The me- I, I kind of liked the meandering. It ended up being more about atmosphere than it was about. Yeah. yeah. As I said, if it hadn't been for that, I, I don't think 
people, because I've talked to some younger people who don't know really anything about Sharon Tate, who really enjoyed this movie, enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, than I, I think do. I think it definitely has a different effect on someone of our age mm -hmm. because that was when it happened. It was oh, I, I was, was I mean this was, I was only four, yeah, so you I know. were yeah you were very I was fourteen. Old. I was in Los Angeles two weeks after it happened, and people couldn't talk about anything else. It was yeah. so. People were so freaked out about it. So does this trivialize it? What was your? Oh, I thought so. It was your, that was your gut yeah. response. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I kept thinking, well, what's what's going to be his next project? Uh, doing a neighbors at the Dakota and having somebody kill Mark David Chapman. Um, but but I, well, he could do the Lindbergh kidnapping. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Titanic. Mean, they didn't hit the iceberg. Well, yeah. Did I tell you guys that story that when I saw it? And, and it hits the iceberg, I swear to God, people a couple of rows in front of me, one turned to the other and said, wait, it sinks? <laughs> Another Trump voter is born. There you go. It's like, oh. it's, it's like going to see Julius Caesar and then, you know, oh, just you know walking out and saying, hey, he dies in the middle. <laughs> just think about all the different movies he could make, though. I mean, well, but I mean... Amelia Earhart never went missing. But, you know, he's been dabbling, well, more than dabbling, not with Hateful Eight, but especially with Bastards, Django, and well, see, now um, I thought in, in alternative history. because Hateful Eight, there was, there was, he was building towards a moment where you thought it was going to be about the post race, War, race yeah. relation, the post-Civil War, yeah. and sort of a revenge thing, uh, you know, I, I mean, I kind of, when I first saw it, I thought it was going to start to go in that direction, and then, I don't know what happened. I, I mean, I, I have to admit, I didn't have the same reaction when, you know, when it, when they, you know, machine gun Hitler and, and, and Goering and everybody to death in Bastards and uh, burned down the theater, and I... Yeah, but it would have been nice if he'd done it before. Well, yeah, war. that's what I, that the first time, that's exactly what I said the first time. Was like, if you had, you had the, the ability to kill off Hitler, why'd you do it before the war started? Yeah, you and, know. and from my mind, uh, *Inglorious Bastards* had some truly horrible performances. By the way, you got the, you got, did you get the bastard reference um, at the end that one that when they talk about the films that uh, DiCaprio makes in Italy, you know, with Corbucci, they mention one that's directed by Antonio Margheriti. And oh, that's right. Right, that's one of the directors. That's one of the guy pretending to be Italian. Yes. Grazie. Uh, at the end. But apparently there is a real Italian director named Antonio Margheriti. I is. would have liked to have seen a, a chunk of what happened to them him and, in Italy. In Italy. Yeah, and he just comes back with a wife. With and a wife who has nothing yeah. to do except that she yeah. snores. Right. That's all we know about yeah. her. Yeah, and she has a lot of luggage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, not, I not, would have. I I thought of all of the scenes that you know he's, and I don't think yeah, he cut kinda, it. It's kind of like, oh, I'm up to this part. Well, we gotta go yeah. hurry up to get to the to the Manson family. Part. Yeah, I I would have. Of course, I would have made the movie even longer, but I would have liked to. Well, have maybe seen you could. Well, if like I said before, maybe there was a better, smaller movie there. The relationship between yeah. Yeah. between Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, and about him trying to reestablish his career, and therefore we would have seen more about what happened with him. Mm -hmm. The fact that he didn't like shooting, and there. you wouldn't have had all the the, the fantastic remaking of history. With, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I find it problematic in the other film. You know, with you know. Django striking a, a victory, a blow for you know for the slaves, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, it, again revisionist. I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm jury still out for me on that because he, when he started out, he was making films with characters that were very cartoon, except for Jackie Brown. He was making films. We'd never. They clearly exist in our world, but you would never run into Jules or Vincent no. or no. or no. or Mr. White. Or um, or the or the yeah. bride or the women from uh, from Death Proof or st Stuntman Mike um, you wouldn't run into them in real life so no. it was sort of t taking place in our universe but if a parallel you, if, one. if you are then you're a very shady character yeah no exactly <laughs> and then in Bastards he shifts to this sort of alternative universe yeah it's a fundamental shift in his career and I haven't oh I don't know I haven't always bought into it well yeah. I have not liked his last movies since then, except I did like Django more than you did. But there are many people who think Bastards and Django are his best work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
No, a lot of no, a no lot people, people I associate with. No, a lot of people think Inglorious Bastards is his best movie. I think it's a really, really. I great think movie. he's got some great think, scenes. Yes, in it. I think there's there's three great scenes. Yeah. The opening, the, the, the opening, opening, the opening scene, the scene at the restaurant mm-hmm. where she thinks that he's recognized her, and the scene in the bar when, yeah. they're, when they're playing cards. But I have to say, and I I generally do like Brad Pitt. I think uh, Inglorious Bastards is one of his worst performances. I think he's yeah, it's, terrible. It's cartoony. Cartoon. But, it, it, but, was, but, but if he's he was, so good in this, it must have been the way it was written. Oh, and way, directed, and the way, of course, yeah. of course yeah. it was. Because yeah. he's so wonderful and yeah. so oh, nice. You know, yeah. what was, was, and I generally like him. You know, actually, his character in this, and I told this to John, reminded me of a character he played in a Tarantino movie that Tarantino only wrote, True Romance. True Romance, yes. He reminded me of right. that character. Yeah. Kind of the the laid back, giving directions and zen like, zen like, but some, really knowing pick up some what cleaning was, products he says, but <laughs> really knowing what was going on, but pretending not to. I loved his character in that movie. Yeah, no, I, so I think you know, I think in fact I like True Romance more than some of the Tarantino movies. This is a this is it's, it's a love story. It's a love story between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, and Absolutely. I, I yeah. love the fact how it is sandwiched. Um, by by the line that DiCaprio says to Brad Pitt twice in the film, "You're a really good friend." Yeah. At the beginning, mm-hmm. and then um, at the end at when the they're taking him away in the ambulance, yeah. yeah. And you're a really yeah. And he says, "No, you don't have to come with me." <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. What, what do you guys think of the Pacino? Al Pacino character. Wasted. Kind yeah, of. that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. yeah. Schwarz. Yeah, it was like either <laughs> I would like to see either seen a lot more of him or why bother. Yeah, I didn't maybe get there was more of him. He was cut out. Who knows? And I think you know, compared to say how he used De Niro and Jackie Brown, you know, who I love De Niro. So That's, wonderful in that part. I haven't seen Jackie Brown as I said in in twenty two years since it came out, but I do remember De Niro in that yeah. movie. I'm yeah. really loving him yeah. in that. No, I, I thought Pacino was um, was just kind of wasted there. Um, yeah, and uh, Brad Pitt was definitely. You know, not Lieutenant Alda Rain. No. Each of you owes me one hundred Nazi scalps uh, in this movie. I, I just, I, I, I found it grating. Yeah, and again, talking about Django, the thing that bothered me about Django was the ending. It just that's yeah, because I, I really did excessive. like most of it a lot, especially the Christoph Waltz character. I love, I oh, love yeah. the, 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 the relationship between the two of them. How, was great. Yeah, how I mean, he builds the tension and I really like in the dinner scene. Oh, you know, oh god, that's a great scene. Right, yeah. and DiCaprio, I think, is great in it. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's, He's really, 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 really good. Is. So let's. And then it became cartoony with the violence. And yeah. And it went on for too long. Right, yep. exactly. Well, I mean, we had discussed the fact that, uh, and we'll have to check on this, but he, you know, Sally Menke was the editor for his earlier films, mm. and when she passed away, fairly young, I think, um, that sort of coincided with the change, the shift in his focus, and he also started, ma- I mean, Jackie Brown is long, yeah. and of course Kill Bill is, is two movies worth, but, you know, he, he, he needs some editing here and there. Was it his idea? To cut Kill Bill into two parts, or was it? He'll uh, never say. He'll yeah. say it was the studio, you know, who was, uh, you know, didn't understand and was destroying him, and he wanted to release a four-hour movie. And no, of course, it was much better in two movies. I thought. I mean, I happen to love love those films. Four hours, no one would have gone to see it. Right. No one's gone. But to I see thought it. it was three because the first one was only an hour and a half, wasn't it? No, it was a little bit longer than that. Mm. But um, I lo- there are many things I love about Kill Bill. Um, but anyway, so. Let's get to you know the, that the article you sent me, Michael, from uh, Vulture.com, which is very, very uh, intelligent and well written. Is this a reactionary film? Is he a reactionary director? I mean, as I said before, the worst insult you could hurl at someone is to call them Dennis Hopper. Why does Dennis Hopper keep coming up in this podcast <laughs> over and over? Go and away! Over. Go away, Dennis Hopper. Go it's back to Peru. Saying how much I don't like him. <laughs> no, but but. Um. Gee, I don't, I, I don't know. I think part of it is he's just so enamored with pop culture of a certain era, so that maybe a lot of his role models are reactionary. He doesn't know it. I don't know. I don't think he's really political at all. I don't think so either. No, I don't mean. And I said I don't really mean capital P politics. I mean like you know in like socio political. Mm. I mean you know because the man we were talking about this before the the Manson family were not hippies. Anyone who was no, no, a no, real part of the hippie movement. No, no, definitely, definitely not. Yeah. No, they were not. 
and they were they, a bunch of sick people who killed people. Right. Were, that's not was, what the hippies were, were about. They were not hippies. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there, but I know enough about the period. Everyone does. And you know, so what is he? What does he gain at the end? In the end, the studio system lives. You know, yeah, uh, I, Rick Rick Dalton will continue, and you know, it, be, be, is is that what? That's well, that, yeah. That, I think that's an excellent question because at least in Glorious Bastards, you're like, oh well, by doing what they do, they're ending the war, right? With this, what is it? What are they? What is he trying to achieve? Just just the fact that he's and remember the studio system, as you guys know. Was was a system that everyone knew their place, and yeah. that's the world yes. that they're from. Yes, and they're very comfortable with that. You yeah. know, as made clear in the interview at the beginning. You know, which goes kind of goes back to the music because there was an aspect of the music that I thought this is the kind of music that an older producer during the '60s would choose for a movie, thinking he's appealing to the younger people. <laughs> right, we got to get the youth market in here. Let's get let's get Dylan to do the soundtrack or the Birds yeah. or somebody like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, they would never they would never suggest the Birds or or Dylan or the Rolling Stones. But isn't that a little bit ironic? Because it was the collapse of that very system. That gave us gave Scorsese us, and Coppola yeah, and Spielberg. And the, the directors had more freedom. In the 70s, we had a completely rebirth, and all these great movies came out. Right, back to, you know... Our, and all, when all these corporations were buying up the... Uh, right, Goldstein Studios, and they didn't know how to make movies. Yeah. <laughs> and gave... But so, it seems to me kind of self... If he, if he wanted... How can you sort of want to perpetuate that system that had really died in effect... Ten years earlier, um, my guess is he's just it, there's just something about that ear he's in love with because it's part of his childhood. Could be. It's yeah. I, yeah, I think I think that's it too. I I. It, but it bothered me. It felt like. It felt like his heroes, you know, would have been excited that John Wayne, you know, beat everybody for the Oscar in '69 for mm. uh, for True Grit. Oh. Yeah, I know. And I think he's so bad in that movie. <laughs> I, I have never understood that. That Academy it's a award. lifetime achievement award. Yeah, yeah, like they always that that's basically what it was. Ooh. No, and I, I think Jeff Bridges is much better. I'm pretty sure that Rick and Cliff, you know, as I said before, would have voted for Nixon in '68. Yeah, probably if they voted at all. Yeah, yeah, I could picture. Yeah, I could picture Rick not not yeah. not voting. So, but he would complain a lot. Mm. So it's all then. It's all about his childhood. It's it's just about recapturing that, doing everything in his, you know, stunning power as a director to recapture those years. I am I am looking at this list of uh, uh, movies um, that are supposedly his favorite, and I don't think I see any '70s movie apart from Badlands and Apocalypse. And uh, he ha- he is breathless. No, but he Taxi has- Driver. Oh yeah, that's right, Taxi Driver. He has breathless. But the 1983 version. Oh, oh my, my, God. Oh my God. God! Sweet Jesus! I'm a big what? fan of the original Breathless, but that movie is that that so remake bad. is so bad. Wow! That is a terrible movie. Wow! Ill-conceived. Yeah. Um, but that's and that's the thing. I I, I don't want to sound like the, the the cranky old guy. I will. But <laughs> three curmudgeons in a movie. <laughs> the pop culture, the culture references in Breathless, are. You know Van Gogh, yeah, and Velasquez, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, and to poetry, and to I mean I, I I hate this distinction, and I spend my whole teaching career battling that wall. But the, you know, Godard's references are very he sprinkles them all in there, all over the place. Right. Yeah. High, very high culture references, right. though. Whereas you know, for Tarantino, it's breakfast cereal and Paul Revere yeah. and the Raiders. Yeah. So let's I, well, let's remember he dropped out of school as a teenager, right? Maybe mm-hmm. does that have something to do with it? I don't know. Well, going back to how I feel about his movies in general lately, they're kind of trivial. This is something, you know. But what about what about Reservoir Dogs and Pulp? And his Pulp earlier work, I don't, didn't I did not. Why, why, why did those have a better hold on you? Than I don't. The last you know week? what? Because they were better written and better edited. Yeah. 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 That's why. I mean, so many Tarantino movies. They were more in control. Are so uneven. That's what how would I feel about all of those movies. Some have better, more good scenes than bad, like I thought Django did. I thought Hateful Eight had one 
as you said. Yeah, the setup, the yeah. setup was good, setup. but the rest that's, that's of it was great. The, the hateful eight, the, the the opening is great. The the shots, the snow the and the snow and everything, yeah. and the, the creation of that that cold weather atmosphere mm-hmm. and the use of the music and when they, the stagecoach first stops to pick up Samuel Jackson and the whole bit about the letter, the Lincoln letter. <laughs> whole bit it, they drag that out for like two hours yeah. it's like, okay I mean but on the other hand you know he, we've said this about other directors he doesn't have to keep making Pulp Fiction 12 true no you know he true. has a right to change and grow yeah, as, an, as an artist and you know as what do you think is in his uh, mind when he's constantly telling the world that he's quitting films I mean, I have no idea. It's it's uh, you don't see too many. Well, Soderbergh did, and then he came back. Right, but you don't see too many directors, especially of that age. Yeah, he's yeah. only fifty six. I don't know. I mean, it just reminds me, John, what you said of um, the bit that John Stewart did on Daily Show about you know when they go to you know when when. Uh, the Republicans are talking about you know making America great again and going back to the good old days. Right. And he's like, well, when were these good old days yes. exactly? Yes. So he asked someone who grew up in the 30s, and he said, so the 30s must have been the good old days. So they said, what are you talking about? It was a global depression. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the 40s well, yeah. must have been the, yeah. you know, yeah, and the 50s, no. Well, if you were white, yes. Well, that's but, what Woody Allen explores in Midnight in Paris. In Midnight Paris, yeah. right. It's, uh, you know, yeah. And so the conclusion that Stewart comes to, and I think Tarantino has in this film, too, is that the, the good old days are whenever you were a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I'm ten years younger than you guys. I grew up in the '70s, not the '60s. And for me, I do think of the '70s as the good old days. I but, think, well, actually, you know, I, I think, do too. But the, think, like the '70s was—I mean, we lost a war, and we, you know, we. The, I don't think of the '60s as, frankly, the great old days. I think that a lot of television was really very, very bad in the oh, '60s. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Brady Bunch, really. Oh God! So many people love that show, but no, I was never. Oh, sorry. I, oh my God! Also, it's I was raised, people, raised on that. Yeah, I was going to say people who are a little younger love the Brady Bunch because uh, everything I was, worked out. I at was the end. in high school, and that was really popular, and I thought it was horrible. I couldn't watch. Oh, it. Oh, I totally understand yeah. that. Just like me but watching I, a, a kid show from I the nineties. Even if maybe it has something to do with the fact that when you are younger everything is so much more impressionable to you that even if your childhood was really really bad and horrible all those that you have you have nostalgia for those things culturally that you see come back in movies you know you i i, I gotta do a little personal uh, go 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 yeah i was in a liquor store this was about maybe 15 20 years ago and i saw Werner kempler uh, buying some stuff, and he was by himself. And I went up to him. Should we footnote as, as far as who was? Oh, Werner Kepler is. He played Colonel Clink in Hogan's Heroes. Dismissed. And I just went up to him and I just said, "Sir, I just want to thank you." Colonel Hogan. I want to thank you for a lot of happiness you gave me as a child. And he was really moved by it. He did a lot of movie work too. Yeah, he did. He was a good actor. He was a good actor, although. I have to say, having watched um, uh, Hogan's Heroes and then seeing him in Judgment of Nuremberg, Nuremberg and in Ship of Fools, yeah. it's like it's hard to watch him in that. Yeah, even though in, he's very good, but it's, yeah, because in Judgment at Nuremberg, he is he's mm-hmm. evil. He's a horrible character in that. There's uh, a small part. Oh yeah. So in in a lot of ways, then. So I, I guess I can understand that whole nostalgia. One, uh, what's uh, that? Uh, it's Simone Signore, right? Whose uh, autobiography is titled "Nostalgia Isn't What It Used to Be." <laughs> One, my, my my favorite title <laughs> ever a for title. a biography. And it's a wonderful book. Yep. Um, so this is his most personal film. I mean, in the, oh, in the yeah, story, yeah, I like, think so. I oh think yeah. So. He totally. reveals the most about who he is as yeah. a person. I mean, every uh, everything. All the other films have this bright, glinty surface, and his technical brilliance as a director. But as, yeah, as I said before, I mean, uh, he is a very talented filmmaker. But it would be great to see him attached to something that has a lot more substance. And it's definitely a movie that could only be made by a man in his middle age. It could not be made by a young. Man. That's an interesting point, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I agree. With, I agree with that. Especially with the uh, uh, DiCaprio character. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is being an actor who's screwed up in the past. Oh, oh yes. when he can't get when he, and then he, then yeah. he beats himself he up beats in the trailer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, 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 at, at one point I thought, was there a camera on me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
which I think also is 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 a good a good thing to bring up of how good his performance is in the movie because you really believe that he's not that good an actor. Yes. And he screws up, but at that scene in the trailer or whatever, God, yeah. he was great in that Yes, scene. he was. Yeah, professionalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst thing... Yes, you, right? which is very Hawksian again. Right, again. Yeah. That the yeah. worst thing you could do is blow a line. Yeah. yeah. Even when he's feeling... And, and you know, but he... and But in the end, he, as always... Uh, ends up sort of reaping the rewards of his semi-competence, you know, whereas, you know, it's Brad Pitt who does all the hard work, right. does all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I assume it was based on, like, the Hal Needham-Burt Reynolds kind of relationship. That That's what... Uh, probably. Yeah, it's, that's what it's, I it's had been, uh, It's been discussed. It's been discussed. <laughs> yes. So, any other thoughts just in general? I mean, overall, uh, disappointed... Pleased, somewhere in the middle. Depending. I would well. I would watch the movie. I would go see the movie again, and then possibly leave when the violent part starts, <laughs> because I enjoyed everything so much up to that point. Yeah, which I would say about Django too. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I, better than Hateful Eight. Right? It, it oh, wasn't, it was better it wasn't, than <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't just the. As the violence progresses, it becomes more and more cartoony, which I mean, so many people in the audience were laughing. It also, I started to sort of become removed from the movie but it also made me feel very uncomfortable because of what it was trying to achieve the whole remaking of the it just, yeah that right it just it just made me really uncomfortable and i thought it was in bad taste that yes. part of it although i have to i talked to a professor today in my department who's older than me in his 70s and he had just seen the movie and he loved it <laughs> and he remembers the whole sharon tape very well but he he thought it was such a relief because you know they were setting up yeah, was, I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, the, sense, the sense of dread all the dread, way through, yeah, through that we that, know what's you know, going to happen. Seeing, yeah. You know the dates and yeah. the time and everything. Because it was a Tarantino movie, I knew that wasn't. I did really, too. Really I was happen. not surprised. But I, I thought, was very pleased that they didn't kill off Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yes. But again, you know, when the bride kills, you know, the crazy eighty-eight, all eighty-eight of them, and kill Bill One. You know that 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 I could, that was people were laughing at. I can get that because yeah. you know this is very cartoonish. There yeah. is you know these are not people we know or would ever yeah. know, and you know it's just it's it's a level removed from reality. Whereas this, I agree with you, my I was I was and John too. I was not. I I just did not love the violence at the end of the movie. Yeah. It was not redemptive. It was not yeah. you know oh you know the good guys won like at the end of Bastards or the end of Django because because it went on for so long. It went on for so long and it didn't. I mean, how many times did you have to bash your head against the mantle? Thank you. Yeah. Yes, that's what exactly. And the flamethrower, she's on Twice. fire already. Well, not only that, but then he had to dwell on the close up of her crispy body oh, in the pool, God, which was really unnecessary. I mean, you know, I'm all for mixing. You know, violence and comedy. I mean, you know, cutting off the ear in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. But we don't see it happen. Yeah. yeah. And a fire scarecrow. But right. But it feels <laughs> like we do. It's visceral. Yeah, that yeah. scene is so visceral. Yeah. And you see Michael Madsen talking to the ear, like, "Hey, yeah. how you doing?" Um, I, just, I I just found the scene, or the or the know, needle in the chest in uh, Pulp you know, Fiction. You know what I? Th- I, I thought I, it was after, after the movie. I started thinking of some other movies that use violence in much different ways and something that I suddenly thought about and suddenly became very powerful to me. We've all seen Open City. There's the moment when the priest gets killed. Oh my God. It is so simply done. Yep. And the cut is so quick. Well, he ain't ain't Rossellini. (laughs) Yet, it is so real and so powerful. Uh... This is not that. <laughs> yeah. No. No, and even Scorsese's use of... Scorsese, yeah. I, you know, I used to yeah. have remember having arguments with, with my film friends in the 80s about Scorsese versus De Palma. And I always found De Palma's De use of violence very gratuitous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, right? I agree. I mean, in the best scene he ever shot, I think, which is the Untouchables, the train, the tra- the train uh, station sequence. You know, at the end, you know, uh, Andy Garcia shoots him and, you know, he comes back to the brains spattered on the wall five times. Yeah. See, I mean, really? Where Scorsese is, Scorsese's always talking about violence in terms of not just its, its social impact and its physical impact, but what it does to people. Right. You know, how it, how it impacts yeah. the victim and the, and the 
bringers of violence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I this, am not a I am not a De Palma fan. No, and the or, ending of this movie of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood felt much more De Palma than yes, Scorsese. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's a good distinction. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't mind. I mean, or Coppola. Yeah, I mean, my wife who hates violence in movies. Mm-hmm. When we saw Reservoir Dogs, when it came out in 92, she's like, this guy's unbelievable. I said, really? You liked it? it was, and if my, yeah. if my wife was not put off by the violence, right. then I knew it was a good film. And there was plenty of, you know, the, the, yeah. the needle in the chest in Pulp Fiction, you know, that's, that's pretty intense. But yeah. you, again, you don't see it. You don't see it happen. You know, you bring it down yeah. in a stabbing motion, and then <laughs> and then you see her sit up with a needle in her chest yeah. when she's when she's back. Yeah. But you don't well, actually see the moment of impact. It's like the famous moment in The Godfather when Luca Brasi gets the knife in the hand. Yep. People swear they see the knife go in his hand, but that's not what and happens. And of course, you know the 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 granddaddy of them all, Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. yeah. Just, oh yeah. Uh, I always, I always open by it by so, showing. So, so Hitchcock was so smart. I'm not gonna do it in color because it'd be too gruesome. Yep, and use chocolate sauce. I heard for yep. the blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I, when I teach my high school film classes, I open with the with the shower sequence, and I say, okay, I want you to count the number of times we see the knife. Right. touch her body yeah. and I get five six yeah. eight then usually there's one smart person who says zero alright like yeah. yes that's the one who gets the A right no I mean <laughs> you know you don't you, it's it, the whole the power of editing I yep. don't right I don't see the purpose in the level of violence John it's a perfect example John right so you know okay smash her head into the mantelpiece yeah. twice that's enough yeah. Once was probably enough, two to make sure, and right. then that's and then it. Right, and then we're good. <laughs> and then and good, then but then good. it went on, on and on, on and on. Just like the brutality, the you know, people getting shot in the balls and Hateful Eight and, you know, the violence in Django. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I didn't mind it so much in Bastards because, you know, it was perpetrated against Hitler in the yeah. Nazis. Yeah. So I was a little bit better with It was with a that. higher concept, I guess you could say. <laughs> but I, And I think I just figured it out, though. What makes me uncomfortable about that is I never made this association until just this minute. Is that it's very Trumpian? It's you know he's he's living in a world of alternative facts. Mm. And you know, ten fifteen years ago, it might not have made me uncomfortable. But now, when I see Sharon Tate live, when I see Hitler die, yeah. when I see you know Django strike a, a, a victory for for slaves, and that didn't happen, I'm like. Okay, why does this not make this makes me feel queasy, not yeah. like not like triumphant. I am yeah. curious what Polanski thinks of this movie if he's seen it. I doubt, yeah, I, I, I somehow doubt he would go see it. By the way, that was one of my favorite little moments. It was when before she goes, Sharon Tate goes to the movie theater. She goes to the bookstore mm-hmm. and picks up the first Tess. edition of Tess. Yeah, yeah. and the movie and the movie yeah. that he made ten years later was. Yeah. was Dedicated to her. Yeah, she might have so been in it. That was a that was a lovely. <laughs> that was little, that was sweet. That was a lovely little touch, and yeah. you know, so that's that's the good part. So, where do you say this fits in in the? Oh God, here I'm going to use a teacher word mm. uh, in the Quentin Tarantino canon. That uh, Uber. His his Uber. <laughs> For me in the middle. Yeah. In the middle. I, yeah. I mean, I liked it better than. Well, Kill Bill, obviously, and I liked it better than um, the Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight Oof. and Inglorious Bastards. I didn't like it as much as Django, and I didn't like it as definitely as much as his first two films, which I do think are masterpieces. Johnny, yeah, I'm kind of, and I, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I, as I said before, though, I would go see this movie again, and then possibly leave when the violence starts, because I enjoyed everything mm-hmm. up to that so much. I mean, I, 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 but but I, there's something about as we see more and more of him that makes me feel that his 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 serious interest is trivial. Yep. But he would argue that that's more real than you know Godard trying to impress us by you know quoting Velasquez or yeah. something like that. I don't, yeah. know. I don't know. I mean, and that's why he picks yeah. Sergio Corbucci over yeah. Leone. Um, so you know, it's that as I said before, it's like his reverse. No, snobbery. I guess he's not going to make a movie about some some social cause or whatever. No, no, and he doesn't have to. No, you know, no, he doesn't. I'm not saying he, that's what he has to do that to be a great filmmaker, but I, I guess he's 
That's not no, but it, but but the great filmmaker. I mean, you know, Hitchcock never made a really political film. In fact, he no, but he made some movies that were profound. Right. That yeah. that that hit you in an emotional place. Yeah. This was all beautiful surface except I think yeah. for the friendship between Rick and yes. Cliff which right. is which is beautiful yeah. and for that scene in the movie theater where this woman who has only been admired for her physical beauty her entire life you know and appreciates where that's gotten her but she gets to see people enjoying her work and it's such you didn't like you didn't well no it isn't that but I always enjoyed Sharon Tate she I'd seen it before. I actually I saw that movie, uh, the well, Wrecking Crew. Matt Helm's popular. And film. yeah, I enjoyed the Matt Helm movies, but I saw when it came out as a twelve-year-old, Valley uh, of the Dolls, uh, which she was great in. She's the only one who survives, as far as performance was. I thought everybody else is terrible in that movie. I mean, it destroyed Patty Duke's hopes of, of being a leading lady in a movie. Yeah, she's so terrible in that. But Sharon Tate, she was wonderful in it, and and she just really by not acting. But you notice, I of course, loved her. that it being Tarantino, she has to put her feet up on the seat. What yes. is it with her feet? <laughs> that man loves feet. I hate. Yeah. He loves women's feet. Yeah, yeah so, I'm there's that whole feet, sequence in Kill Bill, you know, uh, where Uma Thurman's trying to get the feeling back yeah, in her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's in all the I thought it's, that was yeah. really. <laughs> Yeah, well, Margaret Robbie has lovely well, feet, well, by the way. But yeah, but that and, yeah. well, that and when Margaret Qualley gets the car, the first thing she does is put her foot up on the yeah, windshield, which of the is kind of odd. And, but of course, we have the ongoing foot massage conversation in, in Pulp Fiction, Fiction yeah. right? You're the foot massage master. Oh my god! I don't tickle nothing. <laughs> So listen, I mean, for my for my money, it was like upper mid level Tarantino, but upper mid level, him is still better than almost anybody else's A game. Mm, I think. Maybe yeah. Than most other filmmakers right now. Maybe. I just maybe. just wish that yeah. I mean, it's it's not politics, John. I think you're right. I mean, you know, I just wish there was some emotional resonance yeah. to his. That's why I love Jackie Brown so much because I really care about. The you know the yeah. characters and that last scene with just the two of them when she wants him to come to Spain with him and mm. and she's like are you afraid of me and he you know goes a little little bit yeah. I mean real people he can do real people when he yeah. wants he might have to do an adaptation but I mean there's no yeah. there's no emotional resonance which which makes me wonder if the movies are going to have any staying power. Are, pe- are people going to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood over and over again the way, 20 years from now? Right, the I'm way sure we watch pe- Pulp Fiction 25 years yeah. later. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, even Pulp Fiction, when I see it on TV, has <coughs> lost some of its allure from when I first saw it. I may, But maybe only because everyone's ripped it off. Everyone's imitated it. Everyone, yeah. yeah. I, am, I will say one thing. I am very, very happy that Tarantino has given up acting. Oh my God! Because <laughs> he is a dreadful actor. I had Whoa. the um, yeah. I was waiting for him to come on camera in a cameo as a producer or something. Oh, like he that. is. He is in a ca- He's very. He's there off screen. He's directing the uh, Red Apple commercial yes. at the end. That's no, fine. In the credits, he can do a cameo. But I had the misfortune of seeing him on stage. Was that in Waiting Till Dark? Wait Until Dark wow. with Melissa Tomei, and it's like, oh my God, he's with all this very competent to good cast, and he can't act. Yeah, which is. It's like a problem. Ah! <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, it, is it, isn't it true that he, because he, he dropped out of high school or whatever, but he he stole a book and he got grounded because of it, but his mother let him go out to go to some sort of theater workshop. Oh, that man. was the one thing she let him go out for. Uh, Do you think it's true or a Tarantino I, made up story? I don't know. <laughs> no, and many people have said, as I said before, that he is someone who was clearly raised by a television. Yeah. And he's not alone in that generation. No, no, not I mean, at all. He's, he's, you know, that's, that's my generation. That's, he's just two years older than I am. He's a latchkey kid. You know, my, my generation was the divorce generation. Not my family, thank goodness, but, you know, that was, that was us. Was his and parents divorced? I know he was raised just by his mom. Well, then probably. Um, so, yeah, and I, it's, it, it, there's always a lot to talk about with him, though. I, 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 yeah. But I just... Do you guys buy the the Trump thing, or am I just like... It's possible. I think it's an interesting analogy. 
the 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 alternate facts. You know, mm. that's that's taken on a much more sinister meaning in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, with Inglorious Bastards, I can definitely understand wanting to remake history and you know trying to to do that in the movie and everything. But this just felt, I just made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, creepy. Yeah, me I felt, too. I felt me too. Kind of. I wanted to take a shower afterwards. I, mean, I was glad Sharon Tate lived, but I mean, uh, but in the end... Is he going to tackle O.J. Simpson next? No pun intended. Oh, God. Um, no, I heard, well, the rumor is that he may do a Star Trek film. Oh, great. Well, at least he'll pull him out of the past, you know, where he's been for the last few movies that were not as good as that, and he'll send him way into the, you know, 300 years into the future, but... But Star that, Trek was a very popular show, that, and there was... In, in a, culturally important show during the 60s. Yeah. No, and I'm sure that that's where his... <laughs> that's, that's, and I had problem. I'm sure that has something to do with his possibly doing a Star Trek movie. So, so to sum up, I mean, extraordinary filmmaking, as always. A very interesting choice of music. A little, a, 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 a little too much with the pop culture stuff. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, you can't... It, it's, yeah. There are, you know, 40-something songs on the soundtrack. It's like, okay, it's not enough. Well, that's because there's a lot of driving. You yeah. listen to the radio and things like that. Um, the, the, as with Django, as with Bastards, uh, not so much. As with Hateful Eight, the violence at the end just, you know, put a, put a damper at least, if not ruined, a lot of the good stuff that came before. Yeah. Yes. Um, movie star performances from DiCaprio and Pitt, both of them, and as I said, their relationship is as lovely as anything in Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. As real. Yes. But again, yeah. remember, it's a friendship that is dictated by the limits of the studio system. Right. You know, Brad Pitt knows his place. Yes. And... But he seems to be very comfortable with it. Yes. Zen, as you said. Yeah. And, uh, whereas the Leonardo DiCaprio character is very uncomfortable with himself. Very much so. From the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. Ever since Bounty Law was cancelled. Yeah. yeah. And we get the you know, we get the impression that that Bounty Law was cancelled because Because of him. Yeah. He's, he's, very he's, yeah. he's very insecure. Yeah. And um he, doesn't mean he at one point he say resists, he wanted to do movies. He resists going to Italy at first to do the Yes, oh he didn't want to. Oh. Yeah. That's a step down. Yeah. yeah. But and that and that the the speech that Pacino gave, I don't love Pacino in the film, but the speech he gives about being the you know, going from the good guy to the bad guy who gets beaten up by the mm-hmm. hero every yeah. week, that was a really nice oh, yeah. Tarantino yeah. set piece. Yeah. You know, which he does better than anybody. I mean, think of, you know, Christopher Walken in uh, Pulp, Fiction Pulp Fiction or yeah. or Keith Carradine at the end of uh, David Carradine at the end of um Kill Bill, too, right, yeah. with the Superman yes. thing. So, I mean, he writes those set speeches maybe better than anybody else. So, uh, mixed bag, as kind of we expected, but he, you know, he is a lifetime ticket. You know, anything he does, I will see. Oh, I'll definitely we, go see yeah. his next movie. Unless, right. it gets, oh, yeah. unless it gets absolutely terrible reviews, which... He hasn't you know, yet. Yeah. Now, None of me, his movies have. For yeah. me, he's review-proof. Although, I, well, I, I do remember with... Really, really bad. The the four rooms. Oh, good God! Well, he only directed one of the. He segments, only directed right? one of them, but I remember seeing that in Minneapolis and going up to the manager of the theater <laughs> afterwards and literally complaining. I said, "How can you show something this bad?" And what? I said, what am I doing? But I, I, I it's I, your fault. I have and it was and it was the Rodriguez movie that that set me off. I think. Of the four rooms, it wasn't so oh, much. Oh yeah, no, they were all terrible. <laughs> yeah, but the, the the Tarantino was bad, but it wasn't as bad as the Rodriguez. Well, you guys movie. should. That's have... like something an eighty-year-old man. Would oh have no! Been... <laughs> I, I, I was in you my were come on, when you were twelve. Was born eighty. I was I was forty-three when I did this. I couldn't. And afterwards, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I cannot the believe I did that. It was on this spot that Michael had challenged. Exactly. Do not let this man in. And it's the only time I think I've ever done that in my life. This man is banned from the theater. Exactly. But, but, oh, God, I hate it. And you never see that ever anywhere. You never see that popping up. It's terrible. Well, and, and, you know, from Dust Till Dawn, which he's, you know, acts in, sort of. The one that Clooney's in in Rodriguez Director. Oh, yeah, I've seen that and never was seen again. All right. Let's face it. I mean... I'm not going to put Tarantino yet in the pantheon of all-time great directors, but every great director made a really bad movie. Oh, my God, yeah. It's just, you know, we've always discussed this. Yeah. And, in fact, I was going to suggest to you guys that we, um, at some point this year, tackle Eyes Wide Shut. 
because See, that's, well, you and I disagree. On that's that, that's yeah. why it's going to be an interesting episode. <laughs> I'm thinking October maybe. So okay. um, because it's its 20th anniversary, and that's a oh. film that it that really divides people. No, of course he's entitled to to his mist, but in, in terms of his generation of directors, people who came up in the 90s and early 00s. I what other directors among, are we speaking of? Maybe yeah. PT and Wes and yeah. you know Nolan Russell. Somehow those I guys. think they're they're more serious minded people. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, no, I'd say that their their ambitions are higher, but he's he but he's not. It's not like he's a, Tarantino's attempting these, no, these ambitions no. and falling short. Yeah. No. His his yeah. ambition is is a box of fruit brew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and how you your level of comfort with that that obsession with pop culture it determines how you feel about Tarantino. I think yeah. in general. So there you go. But, um, he, but he obviously likes to go and use certain uh, periods of history to make his movies. I'm so, not sure why, because that, I'm not sure why either. That, for me, as I said, with Bastards, marked a downturn. Whereas you, we're in the minority on that. Most people, especially younger people, yeah. like Bastards and Django more yeah. than the earlier films. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. and this one too. I mean, this one. Oh yeah. Very interesting to see if um, if 25 years from now they'll still be watching this one. Like we watch Pulp Fiction now. Yeah, like maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It's maybe. possible. Hard to tell. All right, so uh, necrology time. Mercifully short, this uh, um, Rucker Howard died. That's right. Who oh, yeah. it was just that moment at the end of Blade Runner when he's dying. The tears, you know, memories going away. Like he was a really, a much a better actor than I think people gave him credit for. Oh, he was a good actor. Oh, yeah, he's a very good actor. Yeah. Was he? I don't know much about his career in in Holland before he. I don't either. Did he I did he work not, with Verhoeven I or? I think so. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but that that just that one scene. Just I love Blade Runner more than you guys do, but I think that was a. Yeah. You don't know. It, I, 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 has, bored, has, right? has, I walked out. It's very slow. And I walked out of it after. Years later, after it became this cult movie, I I liked it when I when it first came out. I saw it. I, I liked it, but I, it's not a movie I return to over and over. Well, again. also to, some, wa- to watch some, it on a small screen is is almost wasting time. I walked True. out at the Zigfeld. Yeah, the Zigfeld, which is with <laughs> those you non New Yorkers, that's our big screen or was until yeah. they shut her down. Um, and and D A Pennebaker, that's right. Yeah, yeah. One ninety four filmmakers. Yeah, of, work of, till the end. Yep, and did some amazing. I mean, you know, I love. I'm not, I'm I'm a big Dylan fan, not an insane Dylan fan, but Don't Look Back is probably the best music documentary I've ever seen. That's definitely up there. That's yeah. for sure. Just the opening yeah. scene with Subterranean Homesick Blues and the cards. That's who, who thought of that one? And Allen Ginsberg arguing with someone. My, my favorite Pennybacker movie is, and I can't remember the name of it. Was when he shot the uh, making of the uh, original Broadway cast of Company. Oh really? Oh, I don't yeah. have to check that out. Uh, it's, As a Sondheim it's, fan, it's, uh, TV, it's on TV a lot, and uh, the problems Lane Stritch had getting through it—it's it, really quite remarkable. So, in uh, coming up, coming attractions, dun, 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 endings. Dun, uh, endings. We did an episode. I think it's episode five or six on our favorite opening shots of film, and so in September. We're going to turn it around and do our favorite endings. Some of, film of our favorite endings, Some of our yes. favorite endings. It's going to be hard to keep it to five, but yep. five each. But. Yep. I've picked mine already. Forget it, Jake. It's I, vintage sand. I have four in mind already, and we'll have to talk about Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I I already know what mine is, but my number one is not not even a, a question, but uh, it's going to be fun and interesting. Um, thank everybody for listening. Let me remind you that we ha- our website is up and running strong. Please uh, check in, give us your thoughts, suggestions, feedback. Uh, www.vintagesand.com. Vintage Sand once again recording out of Vintage Sand South Studios. Where we South. do research and special effects. Research and special effects. The Fort, the Skywalker Ranch of 14th Street um, is a five nines and a four production. We want to thank Melissa Cabot for her production help, Gabby for the logo. Uh, as I said, please check out the website and happy watching. Smoke and suggestions, please. Yes. Yes. And uh, Smoky Red Apples, and uh, may your favorite films always be streaming.